Amen. Clap it up for our sister. I take some Holy Ghost guts right there. Amen. <laughs> awesome. So good. <clears throat> so if we could turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you have your Bibles. Um, I know this is a little different for us in how things are orchestrated today, but I just really felt the Lord was just having us kind of change things up, believing that we could just enter into a continued time of worship, which we always do, but maybe now the flow, right? <clears throat> Durami uh, 6, and just a, a brief little announcement. Uh, we will be back to our prayer schedule this Wednesday, so this Wednesday we will have prayer. Next week we will be on our identity schedule. <clears throat> What's that? Deuteronomy chapter 6, <clears throat> verse 4, and this is as we are now going to begin to study the second part of ourselves, and that is the soul. It says, uh, we'll read it in Hebrew first, because it is a very profound utterance throughout the ages. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. That statement right there is known as the statement of faith of Judaism. And for the last 6,000 years, Jewish people have been reciting this passage. This is the statement of faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There are even testimonies throughout the ages going back to Roman inscriptions, Greek inscriptions, and even documentations during the Holocaust. That when Jewish people were being martyred, when they were being killed because of who they are and who they decided to serve, whether it was the Romans, prior to that the Greeks, or most recently Adolf Hitler, that as men and women and children were being brought into the gas chambers, the last words upon their lips was a statement of faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, He is one. Whew. That is a very, very powerful, powerful thing. And so what happens here is there is actually the next part of that verse, which is actually verse um, 5. It says, Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha bekol levavecha u'vechol nevashecha u'vechol me'odecha. Love the Lord, God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. So what we have here is, this is it, man. The statement of faith of, of really our heritage and, and of us is of, of this. The Lord our God, declaration, He is a one God. And you are to love the Lord God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your strength. And obviously the soul piece being the next part of what we're studying in our sermon series. The nephish, the soul. Um, to back this up, um, for those of you who are not as accustomed to the Older Testament, uh, all throughout the Gospels, but particularly Luke chapter 10, 35, right? Someone comes up to Jesus and says, well, what, what's the most important commandment? And he, out of his own mouth, says, you are to love the Lord thy God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. That is the most important commandment. And the second, the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus is reiterating the Shema'an, the Ve'ahafta, the hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. And love the Lord thy God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. And also your neighbor as yourself. 
So this brings us to what we've been uh, talking about here, and that is the a tripartite view of man. That man is, in fact, all three things, right? Does anyone remember what they are? Body, soul, and spirit. And just like God himself is triune, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we ourselves are made up in three, right? Um, a, a body, a soul, and a spirit. And so we uh, were teaching on the body uh, last week, and, and now we're going to continue with the soul to get us ready. And next week, um, we're going to actually have uh, Alan uh, preach um, on some other aspects of the soul, uh, I believe, is what I was feeling from the Lord. Uh, I was going to prayer, and there's a lot of people that were wanting to, uh, to, to teach, and people that have the giftings of teaching. But I was just with the Lord. It's just like I feel like Alan is, is, is at a place right now for, for that message. So that's going to be exciting next week. But um, <clears throat> we're three in one, just like the Father. And so it raises the question is how do we uh, and how do you love God with all of your soul? Whew. It's a big, big, big question. And a lot of times people have a, a seemingly simple answer to it. And that is, you know, love Him with all of your mind. But, yeah, love Him with all of your mind. Love Him with all of your will, your thoughts, your person. And it's totally true. But if I really break it down and say, the Lord is asking me to love Him with all of my heart. Okay, strength, that could be other sermons. But right now, soul. Like, how on earth are you supposed to do that? I mean, that's like, I, I think about it, I'm like, that's pretty big. That's pretty a big deal. Love him with all of your soul. It's like, whoa. I don't know, maybe it's just the way I think, but I think it's like pretty daunting. So I was figuring, like, let's break this down. Let's break this down so we can try to understand a little better what it means to worship with your soul. But to break it down, we're actually going to get even more profound with it. So, you know, take something that's complicated and then I'll get even more in intense with it. But essentially do that, we break it down and get real simplistic. But it's not really simplistic. It's actually quite deep. So, <clears throat> how do we do this? Uh, I've had just the, uh, the fortunate, uh, just a blessing uh, to be able to hear sermons and be a part of spiritual life from, uh, obviously, pastors. Uh, and from that, I really uh, was have learned just about the power of the grace of the Lord. Uh, I've, I've had the, the blessing to sit underneath Messianic rabbis, you know, Jewish uh, people who believe in Yeshua, Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And from that experience growing up, you know, I really was able to just process <clears throat> the Jewish roots of, of, of our faith and, and, the behind, and the Jewish roots behind some of the meanings of the things that we learn about. Uh, but particularly when I was over in Israel, um, I was able to, uh, in school, sit underneath the teachings of Orthodox rabbis. Uh, and from them, I, I learned some things of some of the depths of Scripture that we may have actually have forgotten, or maybe some things that we've never really been exposed to, because it's a very different culture. And so I'm believing that we can bring all these three things together to get a real full picture of what it means to really love God with all of your soul. Does it sound exciting and cool? Yeah. Good. All right, cool. So let's, uh, let's, let's begin this journey. How do we love the Lord our God with all of our soul? So the journey really begins uh, with Genesis 2-7, which we, gone, we went over two weeks ago. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. 
And man became a living soul. From God's breath, he made a living soul. Now, outside of man, all of creation was created by speech. He spoke. And the Lord spoke and said, let there be light. And there was light. He speaks and created everything but man. See, speech is of a lower level of creation. Man is a higher level of creation because what is happening here is things that are created by his voice, essentially just it's created by the sound of his voice. It's created by his power. But with man, he created us by his own breath, an intimate place, an intimate thing. His breath is the object of his essence. It's so much more than just speaking man into existence. He took earth, he breathed his life, his breath, his air, his lungs into us and said, and man now from that breath is going to be different than all of creation. He is now a living soul. He's a soul. He's a soul. He's a soul. I'm the one that gave it to him. So man is created with a soul. And essentially what we were learning the last couple of weeks is a soul is a free will being. It's the place of your actual actions. It's a place of your mind, your thought, your choice. Adam and Eve, choice. Cain and Abel, choice. Us, a choice. And out of our free will, out of our soul, out of our psyche, out of our mind, which is the soul, we are able to choose to follow him and choose to worship him. That's the power of it, is that there's a choice that's there. And so essentially, what we have here is your free will, your soul, is the essence of your life. Your life exists because you have a soul. Amen? All right. So to love God with all of your soul is to love him with all of your life. There it is. How do you love the Lord thy God with all of your soul? You love him with all of your, all of your life. So, there are two problems with this. There are problems with this. Thank you, bro. It's so cool how the Lord brings things together, and you're like, you're just, you're like, Wow, right? There's a problem. There are two problems. Uh, the first problem with us not being able to understand how to worship the Lord with all of our soul is that there is a confusion, I believe, in man. There's a confusion between our existence and our life. There's a difference between existence and life. Second problem, too many of us focus too much time, too much energy on our existence and not on our life. So let's talk about the difference between the two so we can really understand what it means to worship the Lord with your life or your soul. Many of us sitting here, we, spend, or we think of life as existence. Existence is not life. Life is not existence. What is existence? Existence is an object that takes up space. A rock exists. It takes up space. 
A coin exists. It takes up space. A cup exists. It takes up space. It's mass. Anything that takes up mass, anything that is there, exists. Right? So food, water, your home, your career, your money. What does it all do? takes up space, but this is what it is. I need to eat food and drink water in order to exist. Not quite live, but to exist. So much of our energy, so much of our time, so much of our thought process is all about how do I ensure that I continue my existence? Your food, your money, your housing, your car, your career, all of this stuff is just, I want to make sure that tomorrow I am able to exist. I want to be able to essentially take up space. I exist, and if I don't eat, and if I don't drink water, I'm not going to exist. So I need all of these things so I can exist, but the problem is existence is in fact not life. They're different. What is life? Or before we get there, let's talk more about existence. I apologize. So you have a better understanding how existence is just things that take up space. Your thoughts. Thoughts take up space. You can only have one thought in your mind at a time. Why? Because you have one thought, it takes up space. You can't have two thoughts at the same time. You have one thought, in order for that thought to disappear, you need another, you need another thought. This is why when we have a thought, we say that your mind is occupied. Because something is taking up space. So Josh is kind of grinning at me because he sent me a video this week on someone who's, who was talking about the difference of existence and living, and I'm taking, taking some things from that. Because it was a very powerful lecture. Um, your thoughts, obviously, take up space. They have an existence. Your emotions. <coughs> you can only have one emotion, really, at a time, I guess, for the most part. Uh, and they occupy space in your heart. So if you want to get rid of a bad emotion, you need to replace that bad emotion with a good emotion. You can't have both at the same time. So you've got to exchange it, right? You've got to fill it, if you will. So what's, what's the result of all this? Essentially this. Existence is simply something, anything that takes up space. It could be a rock, it could be a cup, it could be a thought, it could be an emotion. It takes up space. A rock is not a life, yet it exists. A thought, an emotion, here we go, a house, a job, Money, a car, all of this stuff exists but is not a life. Then therefore, if these things are simply existence and not life, those things should not define your life. Because they're just things that exist. They are not life, they just exist. So they can't be life because they're just existence. Amen? Amen? Come on, I need some support. I need my homework for this one. What is life? Life, I told you, is your soul, your free will ability, 
your free will, the living soul that was created not from sound, but from the, your father's essence, from his very being, from his life force, from his lungs, from his air. And essentially, with that life, a life is what you choose to do with your will. Life is essentially your contribution to others. What you are doing, what you are doing for others. Something that has a life force is something that contributes to others. So how do you worship the Lord with all of your soul or your life? You contribute, yes, to others, but even more importantly than that, you contribute to the Lord. You were created for one purpose and one purpose only. To worship the Lord thy God. To have fellowship with Him. That is your purpose, why you were created. Am I wrong? That's it, man. Chill in the garden and talk to your daddy. But here's the problem. Human beings are actually quite unique. We're the only ones on earth with this problem. We have a problem. The problem is we have an existence and we also have a life. A rock does not have a life. It has an existence. It doesn't have an existence and a life. I would argue that animals have an existence and they have some form of life, but they don't really have a free will where they get to worship the Father. So we're the only ones on earth that have this dilemma. We have an existence and a life, and sometimes those things which benefit your existence actually don't benefit your life. Your money, your comfort, your ego. It's all there to ensure essentially a more pleasurable existence. I need to exist. I need to exist in comfort. I need my money. I need my comfort. I need my ego met so that I can just ensure that I'm more pleased right now. That I have a more pleasurable existence. Unhappy people spend their time essentially ensuring their existence. That's what they do. Unhappy people run around trying to make sure that their existence, not their life, but their existence of taking up space is bigger, is shinier, is flashier, is quicker, is awesome, and all this kind of stuff to ensure that they have a more pleasurable existence. That's where it comes from. And here's the other problem. Not only does sometimes your existence not benefit your life, sometimes... Those things which benefit your life do not benefit your existence. Say that again. Sometimes those things which benefit your life does not benefit your existence. Your existence is the space you take up and how pleasing and how comfortable your existence is. Think about it. You think about it. Um, preferring others. If you prefer another person, your existence is actually being lessened. You're taking up theoretically less space. When you go and help someone else, you are less there, right? It's not about you, right? The gravitational pull is not around your head, right? You're helping someone else. You're diminishing your space. You're diminishing your footprint, right, in, in a sense. It's not about me right now. It's about you. So what that is doing is that's ensuring life. You are contributing to a person and contributing to the Father because he sees the love that you have for your brother and for your neighbor. 
but it actually makes my existence a little bit more difficult. Come on, man. It, two feet of snow go, uh, falls outside. I go to the old lady down the street and I say, hey, I'm going to shovel your driveway for free for you. That really kind of stinks for my existence. My back is going to hurt. I'm tired. I'm cold. I'm not even making any money for it. My existence is being uh, persecuted, if you will. It's being pressed back. But life is being being grown and expanded. Both your exiles, think about the persecution, sharing the gospel. Go share the gospel at work. Go share the gospel in the Middle East. Go share the gospel with someone who doesn't want to hear it. What's going to happen? Your existence is going to be very humbled. You're going to be beaten back. You're going to sometimes even feel like, ugh, although you shouldn't, but let's just be real, right? Someone's making fun of you that, oh, you believe in this Jesus? That's so ridiculous. Come on, it's fairy tale stuff. Your existence is kind of like, the thoughts can sometimes be like, oh. So both your existence and your life are in constant conflict. Constant conflict. Life, it is said, life is buoyant. It keeps you afloat and keeps you going and light and airy and excited. But existence and ensuring your existence is heavy burdensome. When you need to continually justify your existence before people, man, does that get heavy really, really quick. And so there's this conflict between existence and life. And when they are in conflict, it's very simple. When they're in conflict, choose, choose life. When you have... I choose life, contribution to others, contribution to God, or trying to ensure my existence. Choose life. Uh, this one uh, rabbi said it this way. He said, why does uh, Israel still exist? Like, where are the Romans? Where are the Assyrians? Where are the Babylonians? Where are the Amalekites? Where are the Jebusites? Where are, the, where are the Nazis? And so he's getting at here is, look, all of these empires, empires that kept coming up against the Jews throughout the ages, the reason why they no longer exist is because they put too much emphasis on their existence. They spent all their time building up their empires, building up their wealth, trying to conquer the world. And because they put so much emphasis on it, they actually, those empires no longer exist. But the Jewish people... After all this time, they've had very little existence, but they've had so much life. No country for 2,000 years. Prior to 2,000 years ago, like every couple hundred years, someone else would come in, someone would take them out. Jewish people would be sent off to the, all throughout the diaspora, all throughout the world. Very little existence in terms of space that they take up in a, in a place. It says, this is why Jewish people at a wedding or at whatever, they always say, L'chaim. L'chaim means to, to life. What they're saying is, every time they rejoice, they are saying, hey, not to existence, but to... If you choose life, you can ensure that what is going to exist, your existence. But if you put so much emphasis on existence and not life, you are not going to have a life, and you're not going to exist. This is the power of the gospel. So... You know, I teach high school, I interact with kids, I interact with adults, obviously, and there's always a question. The question is, what is the meaning of life? 
This is it. Like, what is the meaning of life? It really is quite simple. And it's this. <clears throat> life is not a question. Someone says, what's the meaning of life? Like, what? It's the wrong question, man. Life is not a question. Life is an answer. The better question that we should be asking on planet Earth is, what is the meaning of existence? What is the meaning of your space that you take up? What is the meaning of the matter that you have, the atmosphere that you have on planet Earth? And the answer is, what is the meaning of existence? The answer is life. The meaning of existence is life. 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 That is why you're here. You exist for life. Your contribution to your fellow man and your contribution to the Father. Example. It's amazing how so much just came together this week. Whew. Billy Graham, right? 99 years of old. Absolutely. And here we go, right? It's, I, I saw this, I was like, oh my. Someday you will read that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. I should be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. <laughs> Why does he have more life then than he had last week? Because there's less of his existence on earth and the only thing that is left is more, more life. He no longer exists on earth. He exists, but he has life in heaven. When we diminish our existence, we get more life. And that's why death is so awesome, because when you die, you get rid of your existence and all those worries, and you step into fullness of life. You no longer have to worry about your existence and your food and your water bill and your electricity bill. All you got now is you're in the full presence of life. See, this is the power of the gospel. We can have the worship team come on now. This is the power of the gospel. And this is how we bring it all together. If some of this was like too philosophical and too out there for you, this is how we bring it all together. The power of the gospel. Did not Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, the life? I am the way, the truth, the life. So how do you love the Lord your God with all of your soul? You love him with less of your existence and more of your life. Well, life, I still don't understand this concept of life. I get it. Luke chapter 9, 23 to 24 is this. If a man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross daily and follow me. For whoever saves his life shall lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake shall save it. It's like, I, what? 
lose your life and then you're going to get more life. I don't get it. Like, why am I supposed to lose my life if he is life and he gave me life and he gave you my soul? I don't want to get rid of my life. Of course you don't want to get rid of your life. Really what Jesus is saying when he's talking about life, what he's really saying here is get rid of your existence. If you get rid of your existence, all the things that you worry about, the cares of the world, you will in fact have more life. And I am the author of that life. See, humility is not decreasing your life, but rather decreasing your existence. That is true biblical humility. Your thoughts, your cares, the worries of the world, if you just diminish that, you will be left with more of the life of the living God that has breathed his soul inside of you. Simply put, if you didn't get really much of this today, simply put this. Many people, including believers, put too much emphasis on their existence. And what is existence? It's the space that you take up, but what is it? Existence is what do I need to take up space on earth. Existence is what do I need to ensure that I'm here and I'm comfortable and tomorrow I'm here and the next day I'm here and I have the retirement plan and I got this all together. That is your existence. What do I need? So what is life? Life is father. What do you need? My son, my daughter, my beloved, I need you. I created you from the earth because I need you. I want you. I want to have fellowship with you. I want to commune with you. I want to talk with you. I want you to worship me. I want to worship you. Father, well, what do you need? What do you want? His answer is, I want your heart. I want your life. I want your mind. I want your will. I want your emotions. I want your existence. I want your soul. We must not confuse existence with life. Death, where is thy sting? The psalmist says. Death? Life does not die. Because if life died, that would be an oxymoron. What is the opposite of death? Life. So, life can't die because life is the opposite of death. Death, where is thy sting, is the notion that when we die, our existences, our things, our concerns are gone. And the only thing that is left is life, as we saw with Billy Graham. So this is it, folks. How do we love the Lord thy God with all of your soul? The scriptures tell us, pick up the cross. What is the picking up the cross? It's dying to your existence. It's dying to your wants. It's dying to your concerns. It's dying to building up all the things that you need to ensure that you finally exist again tomorrow. That is what picking up the cross is. That is what dying to the self and dying and receiving true life is. This is how we worship and love God with all of our soul. How do we do it? It's very simple. We live. How do I worship the Lord thy God with all of my soul? The answer is you live. But what is life? It's different than existence. 
It's not love the Lord thy God with all of your existence. Love the Lord thy God with all of your soul, with all of your life. Too many of think I need to love God with my existence. He doesn't care about what you have and what you don't have in a sense. What he cares about is your life, your contribution to your fellow man, and most importantly, what you are doing with your existence for him. I love him with all my soul is a sense of I am going to take my life and I'm going to make it a priority to give to you, Lord, to worship you, Lord, to have communion with you, Lord, to have life with you. But I am telling you, he can't do that. When you put all of the emphasis on your time, your energy on existence. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha Bekol levevecha uvechol nevashecha uvechol meodecha Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one And you shall love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart With all of your soul, with all of your essence and with all of your strength. It's very simple. To love him with more of your soul means you need to be more in tune with your soul, which means you need to pull back the existence. And more life will come in. More life from the Lord. And with this precious gift we have been giving above all other creation, with this life, I shall give back to you. Because that is, in fact, the definition of your soul. That is the definition of life. To give back. Everything else is existence. Everything else is existence. Even driving to church is existence. But talking and communing with the Father, that is life. Putting your tithe check in the basket, that is an element of existence. But life is, Lord, I am just wanting to have fellowship and walk and talk and be with you. That's life. And so, Father, I pray as we continue today and we move into, yes, worship. That we now would have a little different way of understanding all of this and that we would step into your courts. Not with our existence, but with our life. We would step into worship, not just with the clapping of hands, but with the utterations and the glories coming from our hearts and from our soul. Lord, less of me, more of you. Less existence, more of you who is life. It's not about me. It's not about my ego. It's not about my needs. It's not about my wants. It's not about my piggyback. Piggy bank, it's all about you. And what you want and what you need. He formed you from the clay so that you would be a creature that can stand through it all. 
give him thanks and give him praise. So let us stand. Love or worship the Lord God with all of your soul. We worship with all of our soul. Means it's not about what I need right now, Father. It is about what you need. It's not right now about the job I need. It's not right now about what I need in my piggy bank or whatever it may be. Right now to worship with your soul is to say, Father, what do you need? And we know what he needs. His response is creation. His response is sentient beings that just say, I love you and adore you. That's what it is. So let's do it. Amen. Amen.